the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our featured guest is going to talk about the art of psychic reiki. But prior to the show, I just a couple things I want to bring to your attention. First off, I love our Instagram page. It's thriving. Thanks again to Jenny Lamessa. We have all these people following us, so please check it out. We're going to post a link to our main page. We're always posting quotes from our featured guest. But tomorrow is the 4th of July, and that is my favorite holiday of the year. I just love it. I love summer. But it's also a very sad time of the year because it's when I go around and I hear the improv comedy show from my fellow Americans that it's just sad and pathetic. And here's what it sounds like. The United States is the land of the free. The police protect us and our civil liberties. The economy is doing good and will only get better. Here's a reality check. If you're living in the United States, you are not living in the land of the free. You are living in a fascist police state that is growing more tyrannical by the minute. You think you have liberty. You don't have liberty. You don't have freedom. The Patriot Act decimated your Fourth Amendment rights. The 2012 National Defense Authorization Act, which was passed on New Year's Eve of 2011, allowed the government to detain you indefinitely without trial, without lawyer. Okay. Now the First Amendment right is under an egregious assault with the uh, illegal arrest of Julian Assange, who's not even a U.S. citizen, and all citizens of all nations across the world should be concerned by that. So global freedom is definitely on the decline, and you have to ask yourself, why would this be happening? Why would freedom be on the decline? I think the main reason why is because people don't understand it and they're not willing to fight for it. I've had the honor of knowing and even working with Dr. Ron Paul. I think he's one of the greatest uh, advocates of freedom in American history and probably world history. This gentleman is out there fighting like crazy. And he's fighting to bring and raise awareness of what true freedom is. And I realize right, this is, I think freedom is the difference between volunteerism and being forced to participate. If you choose to volunteer your time, effort, and energy to help someone or to participate, that is your choice. That is freedom. By being forced to participate, which is an example of taxation, which is an example of forcing to put someone else above you, which is putting someone else on a pedestal that's not, not as deserving or hasn't worked hard enough. I mean, that's, that's tyranny. That is definitely not a form of freedom or liberty. And also... True freedom is about personal responsibility. I'm sure you probably see this, but a lot of citizens in, our, in the United States and across the world, I don't think they're willing to, willing to take responsibility. It takes courage and it takes hard work to take full responsibility for where you are. And I think that's why we see a lot of people just willing to give it up and say, no, someone else, you take over it. Well, 
if you do that, if you advocate your personal responsibility, you're basically going, you're running into the hands of tyranny. Personal freedom requires hard work. It requires eternal vigilance. And it also requires that people pass on that passion, pass on those ideals to, to, to other generations. And I think we've reached a point right now where we've had so many people, at least in the U.S., become so lackadaisical and so unknowledgeable and so uncaring about the civil liberties that we're right at the point of tyranny. And it's because people just didn't care. It's not like tyranny came to this country in a you know thief of the night. Well, not like it came to us by force right away. It's generations and people not caring, being uninformed, and it's really sad. Well, I want to tell you something. I have freedom and I have liberty in my heart so much, and it is burning like a goddamn fire. It could set my whole house on fire, and I'm willing to fight. And I'm willing to die for freedom and for liberty. And I think that when you're on the spiritual path, when you're on that path and you're seeking, you probably understand or have a good grasp of what liberty is. Because you know that your progression and where you go and what you learn and what you attain within your, your product is all because of you. It's not because of someone else. You're taking full responsibility. And I believe that the spiritual path is also the path of freedom. So that being said, I would just focus on freedom, learn about it, embrace it, love it, teach it to others, teach it to your children if you have any, pass it along because I think the only way freedom survives ultimately in our world if it's learned. I know that we've talked about our show before, had guests on thinking that there's going to be some kind of big shift in consciousness that humanity is going to one day shift over. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe it's going to happen. I do not believe there's going to be a mass awakening that's going to forever change human consciousness. I believe that human beings are animals that are probably no different than dogs to a degree where we, we have our nature and that's who we are. And I know human beings have the capability of changing our world. We could be intellectual, we could use computers, we can have access to all this technology, but I don't know if our nature truly changes. We've probably had people on the planet that have been other human beings that have been more spiritual than what we think we are right now, that have been more connected to nature and they've been more accessible or had greater access to these um, these teachings so I almost think that or feel that if you're passionate about freedom that if you're passionate about the metaphysics and spirituality and you pass on that passion and you pass on the ability to achieve that through generations that's how it survives it doesn't automatically survive through a species thing it's not a biological thing I believe it all comes within the spirit that occupies these physical bodies let us begin tonight's program. Welcoming to the program is Miss Lisa Campion. She's been a professional psychic for over 20 years. She uses a combination of intuition, energy healing, and therapeutic techniques to figure out everything that is wrong with you because you know you've got a million problems, which is great because Lisa has got a lot of solutions. <laughs> and Lisa also happens to be the author of a book called The Art of Psychic Reiki. Developing your intuitive and empathic abilities for energy healing. Now, that is a book that I would love to read. Miss Campion, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today. My pleasure. So, Psychic Reiki. Can you please explain the comparable difference between that and regular Reiki? I mean, do you, generally speaking, have to have some kind of empathic capabilities in order to be a, an effective Reiki practitioner? 
Well, I don't think you have to, but many people do. And what I noticed over the 20 years that I've been teaching Reiki is that if you are sensitive, you're going to get more sensitive after you study Reiki. And if you're psychic, you're going to get more psychic. So I feel like it's, Reiki is one of those um, sort of like gateways into the spiritual world. You know, people do yoga, people do meditation, and people do Reiki. And these uh, three things awaken people's intuitive and psychic abilities. So whatever you've got already, it's going to get a lot more when you start practicing Reiki. And what I noticed was that people would, my students would become more sensitive and they'd be a little afraid. They'd get, it's sort of scary if your psychic opens and you don't know what to do. And, or if you're getting so sensitive that you're feeling overwhelmed by other people's stuff and that people were backing away from Reiki until like I've had the student who's like, yeah, I studied Reiki, but I feel like it opened something for me that really scared me and I, I stopped doing it. And that made me really sad because I feel like the world needs all the healers it can get. So that's when I started teaching it together, you know. So how do you become more sensitive? Because Reiki, I mean, what it, can you explain in a simplistic like way, what are you essentially doing when you're practicing Reiki? Well, Reiki's like a, it's a gentle, hands-on energy healing technique from Japan that teaches you to tune into your own uh, energy flow, into this universal supply of energy that's all around us. You can think about it like the force from Star Wars, you know, like it's the energy that animates us, that's around us. And when we learn Reiki, we learn how to use that unlimited supply of life force energy to fill ourselves, to fill our clients. And there's a lot of sort of meditative practices and spiritual disciplines that go along with the study of of Reiki too. So whenever we do that kind of stuff, we get more sensitive. Um, And, you know, that really opens people. So So what is a, what is a person essentially doing when they are saying, okay, I'm a Reiki practitioner because I've kind of done before and I've had individuals, they've placed their hands probably about an inch above me and I felt heat coming through Mm -hmm. their hands. Yeah. So I'm wondering what essentially are they doing? What, what is the difference between a Reiki practitioner and somebody who is standing over another person and praying over them? Well, the, there's something that happens in a, in a Reiki, when you study Reiki, that's called the attunement. And the attunement is the process by which the teacher passes the ability to do Reiki to the student. And the attunement sort of permanently changes your energy field so that you're able to connect with this specific frequency and this, this very specific um, kind of energy. And it's the energy of unconditional love, which God knows if you're going to be stuck on a desert island with one kind of energy, it's a really... It's a really good one to have. I want the pizza energy. You want the pizza energy? The pizza and beer energy. Unconditional pizza love. Pizza beer. That's right. Uh, yeah, and unconditional love. It's, that's a good combination. Sure, I, I guess I'll take that. I'll, I'll be my therapist. So that's the energy that you're feeling when you're, you know, other lots of people can um, can can pass energy, like if you have a good massage therapist, or, but they might be giving you their own energy, which is something we don't really want to do. Um, using this universal life force energy is a much better idea for both the practitioner and the person who's receiving the healing. So Reiki teaches us how to tap into that universal supply. It's an interesting point you brought that up. I mean, is it possible that a person could be working on you and kind of pass along some aspects of their shadow, like some of their unresolved issues, and embed them in your energy field? And maybe they have an unprocessed shadow that they're not aware about it. And if that's the Absolutely. case, how would you know? How do you know for sure? Because there's a 
pretty prime example of a healer that everyone thought was wonderful. John of God, everyone's like, oh, he's so wonderful, he's so amazing. Now he's, but mm -hmm. they found that he sexually assaulted 200 people or something. And I, 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 I feel that it's kind of, I see that happening a lot. I actually do see it happening where you see more and more people keep on, they're being revealed, that they're being, um, showing up like this. So what is your perspective on that? Well, um, I do think it's possible that you, you know, you have to be careful when you get energy work with somebody because when we exchange an energy with somebody, we, you need to make sure you're choosing a person that has a higher frequency than you do, you know? So I think if you're tuned into your intuition, like if you really are feeling it, you can sort of feel it in your belly, like, do I want this person to put their hands on me? Do I want this person to, you know, to do energy work on me? To be really picky. Um, like be as picky as like who, you know, the same way you would pick somebody to go on a date with, you want to be picky about that too. So whenever we're, we're mixing energy with somebody, we need to be wise around how we do that. And I agree with you. There's, there's certainly a lot of, I think this is a time in the history of, of, of the world where, where shadowy things are coming out of the woodwork, you know, so people are getting, the corruption's getting uncovered. People are getting found out. Um, I heard about John of God and his and his stuff like maybe ten years ago. I started hearing some not so great, yeah, some not so great stuff about him. And I think it's it's like the shadow guru. You know, there's so many of those gurus like that fall to the the power like power, sex, and money is what tempts us when we're far along our spiritual path. And I think people when they gain a certain amount of spiritual power, they get tempted or tested with the temptations of power, sex, and money, and so many fall. Sad. You um, know? Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty incredible, but getting back to going through a session, a Reiki session, if yep. you are working with a person, does the practitioner have to have a very grounded sense of being in order for them to absorb the other energies from the person? I mean, is it is the practitioner putting themselves in a precarious position if they sense that the person they are working with has too many unresolved issues or their sadness is too intense that the practitioner cannot absorb it, that they cannot be able to work we don't, with it? We definitely don't want to absorb it, ever. Like that's the, you know, and lots of people, especially the natural empaths are of the world, our tendency, our natural tendency is to absorb. Empaths are like psychic sponges, so they absorb like a sponge. And what's great about Reiki is when you learn Reiki, you stop having to do that. So you're connecting to this universal life force. You're flowing that through your system, and and what and it's passing through you like you're a conduit in a way for that energy. It's passing through you and going to your person. And of course, when we pass energy through us, like light passing through a prism, there are some prisms that are more clear. So it's really important for if you're a healer to continue to do your own healing work, to get your own energy work, work on your own stuff, clear out your own shadow. I loved it that you brought up that topic because that's really important. So we really need to do that. Um, and, yes, people are really sensitive. So sometimes healers pick up stuff from their clients. Sometimes clients pick up stuff from their healers. We need to try and, you know, we need to try and not do that. The better trained you are as a healer, the less likely that is to happen. And we still have to keep working on our own stuff. Because if you're a healer, like like I, in my own life as a healer, I know what things are likely to trick, trip me up and put, put me off my center. And they're the own ish, my own unresolved issues, you know. 
So that's why we have to keep working on ourselves and doing our own work. Excellent. Ms. Camden, if we explore this topic or this idea that there are no separate beings, there's one universal mind, there are only beings within one universal mind, you and I included, including all living life forms and beings, and if we take that concept and we apply it to Reiki and we say, okay, one of these beings within the universal mind is working on another being in the universal mind with the hope that it's going to make that other being feel more positive or engage in emotions or energies or frequencies that are going to make that being feel better. Is that, is there any reason why the Ricky should be utilized uh, in any capacity to help a per- make a person feel worse or make them go through a more painful situation if that is their purpose? Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is the purpose of Ricky always to make a person particularly feel better? And could Ricky well, in one way shape we, actually? I don't know if we always feel better in the healing. You know what I mean? It's like, so healing is like a process of moving more into wholeness. You know, sometimes that means we have to walk through some swampy stuff. We have to feel feelings that we've repressed. We have to clean up our trauma, which sometimes means we have to remember it. You know, and I've had plenty of my clients who roll off my table and they feel worse than they did before they came in. But it's the kind of detox, you know, well, they just cried a lot or they just released a lot of emotion or they, they let something they've been holding on to let go, you know. So I don't think we – I think there's sort of – that's a, like a myth that a lot of people have, oh, I'm just going to roll off the Reiki table and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Oh, in the, you know, in the moment, like in the long run, you feel better. You know, as you clean up that stuff, you're going to feel better and better. But in the short run, sometimes it's – Tricky, and I think there's a deeper question you're asking there, which is, can so could somebody like maliciously use this energy to hurt another person? Is that what you were? Also well, wondering? actually, I was wondering if if the Ricky necessarily was always meant to put you in a very positive place. I mean, if it sent, mm-hmm. say, for example, you came in with the mission in this lifetime, and you are supposed to experience every single shade of sadness there is because your last 25 lifetimes were pure bliss and you're like you know i need to change stuff up i want to come here and be miserable right. i want to you know be completely <laughs> yeah. miserable so then all of a sudden you start off in your life and you're miserable and then you know your natural gravity towards the happy stuff but what if you start doing reiki and it's like well you know the reiki puts you back into the fact that no you're supposed mm-hmm. to be miserable in this lifetime so can reiki actually put you on the path of which you're designated to go upon and put you in a place that is less than a happy emotion knowing that in some way, shape, or form, Ricky is kind of pulling you into your divine purpose, whether you are consciously aware about it or not. Yeah, I think so. And and my belief, yes, I think you're absolutely right that Reiki will pull us into our into our soul's path, and our personality doesn't always think that's the most comfortable. However, it's my experience of doing working on thousands of people, doing thousands and thousands of sessions over the past 20 years, that over the long haul, there is more, in general, more joy, more happiness, more contentment, more opening, more fulfillment along the path of the soul than there is in the path, on the path of the personality. So personalities really just want a nice, comfy life, you know? They want lots of pizza and beer. <laughs> they, want, they don't like change. They just want things to be the same. And, and there's the, the, the comfort zone is, isn't so, it's not soulful there, you know? So Reiki is likely to put you on the path of the soul. In moments, it might not feel good, but I think in the long run, it puts us into a higher frequency and a better place. 
Excellent. And you said you've worked on yeah. thousands of people. So yeah. in the course of your years of doing this, I wonder, did you ever get the idea, impression that humanity collectively is evolving, becoming more spiritual? Or do you, do you find that, I don't know, that human beings in a way are becoming less evolved? When I say this, when I say more or less evolved, but what I'm referring to is the idea of more human beings kind of falling prey or falling victim to their human human animalistic type into um, appetites so they're, they're they're falling for their addictions they're 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 kind of being chained to whatever the body's going towards and when I say more spiritual I mean you know being able to kind of tame the body and allow more of their spirit to come in and to be more of an expression of their tr- of their true self their true spirit so I'm curious in your years of doing this do you see any trends in this direct in any either direction? I love your questions. You have such you. fantastic questions. Yeah, you have really good ones. Um, I, you know, I could sort of joke and say, well, every time I watch TV, I think as a species, we're de-evolving. <laughs> you know, and what I see sort of in in the the collective consciousness is is it's frightening to me. However, I think that there, in general, yes, we're evolving. So every generation that comes along, it's like I was born in the '60s, and when I grew up in the '70s and '80s the level of psychic that I had was extreme and rare. And then the subsequent generations have are more, there's more and more people that are like that. More and more kids are like that. And there's a million kids on the planet right now that are, have my psychic ability times 10 and it's very normal for them, you know? And that gives me a lot of hope. I do think there are more people on the planet now than ever have ever been. And many of them are new souls. You know, so they're just starting their incarnational cycle. And the new souls are very rough around the edges. They're really like only, they're really just in the lower three chakras, which are really about power, sex, money, identity. I think Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Game of Thrones world. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're more, more of them than ever. Does that mean that we're de-evolving? I don't think so. I think it just means there's more new souls. There's more souls in general than there ever have been and more new souls. But I also see lots and lots of old soul types that are reaching the pinnacle of their evolution and reaching enlightenment and evolving off the planet. So I think it's a volume thing. There's just more of us. Well, when it comes to old souls and new souls, I've always been curious because in this area, the idea because, okay, if we if we are come from a universal mind or we are all one collective being, and I imagine all consciousness would have to be the same age in, in that regard. If it is, if it we're talking about one collective being, then how? I, I want to know how could there be new or older souls? I mean, does this collective being, if you were to refer to as source, break off more pieces of itself or give other parts of itself the illusion of being separate? And do those pieces that have broken off upon itself, these new perspectives, do they get a later start? as opposed to its other perspectives that have been around for other periods of time, maybe have experienced hundreds of lifetimes. So are these new souls, you know, again, new perspectives from source that are taking on the idea of separation for the very first time? You know, I I only have a theory. I mean, I I don't really know. I have my personal sort of metaphysic, you know, the gospel according to Lisa kind of thing. But um, that, 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 yes, that there are... um, So I see, when I do readings for people... I, one of the things I look at is where they are in their soul's incarnation. Like, what is the narrative? What's their soul's narrative? It's the most interesting thing to me about a person. 
I look at their past lives, what their gifts are, what the way they're going in the future. It's like a story. It's really like a narrative, like an epic movie, you know. And and I think that they're they're I've seen some brand baby new souls. So really, they're just trying to figure out how to drive the body and deal with the nervous system and you know manage the gravity and things like that. And oh, I see an awful lot of souls that have incarnated other places, and. So they've come here to planet Earth um, because of the very unique property qualities and lessons that we have going on here on this crazy planet. Um, and then I see a lot of old souls too. So and middle souls. So I see. I usually break it to new, middle, and old. And I think there are some brand new ones. Uh, you know, Gary Zukav talked about it. Like, like if you imagine that consciousness, the God consciousness, is an as an ocean, and you take a cup and you scoop a cup out of the ocean. It, that's the birth of a soul. And I do think there's a continually new ones coming out of there and old ones getting recycled back in. All right. This is a question. I Thank you for your answer. This is a question I've asked uh, some of our guests before, but is Earth the like darkest, the most insane place for a soul to evolve on? Because um, I'm kind of gathering some people together. Um, I'm making yep. some friends and allies right now. We're all saying, okay, after this, what we're going to do is that we're making a pack right now. We're going to evolve off this planet the next time. Mm-hmm. So we're all dead. We're going We're going to like Tahiti in the universe. So please, <laughs> nice with that, with that the psychopaths. Psychopathic mentality. It's, really, it's a tough planet. It really is. You know, and I, I don't think it's the worst one. I just really? think there, no, I don't think there, it's the worst one, but I think it is a very difficult one. And is it, is it there, difficult to human beings? Because I think that, you know, if, if you take human beings off planet, it's a beautiful, peaceful place. Right, sure, yeah. It is for human beings, you know. I think that it's a nursery planet for warrior souls. Really? You know, it, and uh, if you're a warrior, then a fighter, then it's kind of fun down here, you know. Like, even the war, like, clearly war is fun or we wouldn't keep doing it, you know. And sort of seeing that everything is a battle, this is like boot camp for warrior spirits. And I know. And, that, and that it's really meant for them to learn compassion, to learn some kind of, you know, learn compassion and empathy, which is an old soul quality. You have to experience a lot of life down here. You have to suffer a lot to learn compassion and empathy. And so that's part of the gig down here. We have a couple of things. We have, it's a polarized planet, so we have light and dark. It's a planet of physicality, so we have a body. We have free will, so we can choose between the polarity. And then we have a body, so we can experience the results of our choices, we have the laws of karma, which mean that whatever whatever we do sticks. There's no getting away from it. It all and the law of cause and effect. So we have to experience the results of our choices. And I think that whole setup is to teach us compassion. So it's to take warrior spirits and to teach them compassion. The only way that happens is to experience a lot of suffering. Well, I hope we the world becomes more compassionate because I, I worry about things. I feel like the. Humanity in general is very warlike. I don't think they, they treat yes. the planet themselves or anything else. That's right. You know, there was one of your blogs that I'd read. It's about the inner child. And you talked to, you said that you were, you were talking to your friend and spiritual mentor, Sharon Wilsey. Is mm. that your name correct? Yep. See, she said that the answer is your inner child. So I've got from this that <laughs> yep. you go to your inner child as a sanctum. What if you are somebody who's had a very rough and dark childhood i mean how do you draw strength and pull of energy from an area of your life where you should probably have an abundance of love and peace because most people i guess when they're they guess most the idea is that when you're a kid you should be happy healthy creative 
and some people have really dark places. So where do you draw energy from if you can't if your childhood is destroyed? Well, I think that um, it, it in all the work that I've been doing, the inner child work is the key piece to healing. So it is the part of us that needs the most healing. And if you're anxious, sad, upset, uncomfortable, depressed, in pain, you want to look to your inner child because the the answer is your inner child. Whatever's going on, whatever's creating pain, you need to go back there first. And unless you just, you know, if you just fell down and smashed your knee, that's different. But chances are good where we need to look back to that point. So the child holds our unhealed traumas. and, And on the flip side, it also holds the greatest imprint of our soul. So it's the part of our psyche that that is the closest associated with our soul. So it needs a lot of attention. And when we do the healing work, when we get some therapy, we get some Reiki, we get some body work, and we liberate the child, the pain of the child, we are able to step more powerfully into the purest aspect of our soul, which is the childlike part of us that has fun, is playful, is joyful, you know, hopeful, loving, unguarded. So there's a lot of good, but we have to really heal that part of us. So, well, I have done some work on my uh, inner child, and unfortunately, I'm blocked. And there's a reason mm-hmm. why, because my inner child wants to take the sled and go down the, the flight of stairs with a sled and, you know, fall down, you know, hills and roll down hills and do yep. all kinds of stuff. I'm like, listen, inner child, I cannot do that right now because – one day you're going to wake up and be 40, and you're going to find that if you do that, shit is going to hurt for a while. You're going to be, you're going to have putting ice packs on it. So I don't know. Well, what else can what, you do? Like, what know. Can, it, you know, like, like you got to find your jam for now. Like whatever age you are now. <laughs> like what, what is the version, the you, the well, now it, version of it that? It likes to play. My my inner child is into is into games and Legos and stuff. So we do that stuff. But it also like, hey, why don't we roll down a hill? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Why don't we just sit there and watch other people uh, roll down a hill? That's more fun. <laughs> That's funny. Do you have kids? Uh, no, I don't have kids. I have two dogs right now, and I think I'm a kid. I pretty much think, you think you're a kid. kid. Yeah, uh, I think I am because. You, so hanging around and playing with kids, or yeah. hanging around and playing with your dogs, is another really great way to ask, um, you know, to to touch that aspect of you. So you may not be able to roll down the hill, but you could take somebody else. You could take some kids sledding, or you could. Roll down a little tiny hill. It's sort of it's like the energy of that. Yeah. Or you could watch videos of other people rolling down the hills, like on those, well, you know, I think it's what I'm going to do. Blooper videos, exactly, yeah. right? You know, um, you you know, it's the being in the energy of the feeling of that. Um, you know, that's going to bring you that joy, even if you can't do it. Well, one of the things you talk about is you talk about. I see here on your side that you, you're talking about opening up your psychic chakras so what is that i mean and also is there a difference between that and just listening to a, a frequency or a mantra that will open up your chakra in general is there, is there a comparable difference i mean do you naturally gain psychic ability by focusing on your chakras is there something specific specific that you do that's different well there's a lot of ways to open our chakras and i talk about chakras a lot because i teach in an energy medicine school that's chakra based so so I work a lot with the chakras and Reiki. We use chakras in the Reiki and Reiki. So it's just, it's a good lens to look at yourself through. It's a good way to understand who you are. Um, that's why I like it. And and basically all of our chakras are, are taking in information from the world. So they're perceiving and filtering information on the, the different levels that they do. 
and allowing us to perceive reality around us all the time. And when our, when they're blocked, we're not getting the full picture. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, as we do the inner work and the energy work and the Reiki and the therapy and all the things we do to open our chakras, we become more like, so here's a great example. Your first chakra, which is the root chakra, is your body. And your body is one of the best psychic senses you have. It's always right. It never lies. It always knows what's real. And if you learn how to pay, most people get out of their bodies, they, they forget to pay attention. We, we numb out. We, don't, we pretend we don't have a body. We're like a brain on a stick, you know. And when we have to get back in the body, that's called grounding. And then when we're in there, our body is constantly giving you information about what's going on and if you're safe and how you feel and what's happening. And it's, it's so psychic, and it never lies. It's, it's the most accurate psychic Oh, I would have completely agree with you on that. The other night, my wife hid cookies on me. She goes, we got these uh, vegan oatmeal cookies that I love. And she goes, listen, you, you, you can't have these cookies. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find them. So I'll ask my buddy where they are. <laughs> so 4 o'clock in the morning comes because that's when I usually like to eat. And I, I'm talking to my body. I'm like, where are the cookies? And I walk right towards the place where she hid them, and I found them. Oh, so great. your body yeah. needed those cookies, and you knew where it was. Well, no, I don't think my body needed those <laughs> cookies. And I think I think my I think my body is, has had plenty of cookies in its lifetime. I, I think it, I think it was the mind and the body collaborating. That's <laughs> so funny. I love it. I That's know. a great example. <laughs> it's one of the examples, but do you think that if you if there's a any reason why a person should strive to become less sensitive in this particular time period? Because if you look, look at the world and you see a lot of people, they're upset and they're angry and you've got all these potential conflicts like a potential world war or a, a lot of people that are generally stressed, do you risk picking up that frequency if you mm -hmm. open yourself up to becoming too psychic? Are there periods of time where it's best to kind of shut down, hunker down in order yeah. to protect your energy field, especially if you're not a trained professional? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that we need to be the boss of our own sensitivity. You know, we need to be able to manage it. So it's really good when we can turn it off when we want it off and on when we want it on. That's the that's my sort of goal with the people that I train, whether they're psychics or empaths or both. So we can we can have it as a skill we need. It's it's a very powerful way to navigate through the world. It's usually aligned with our life purpose in some way. And I think if everyone was more sensitive, there'd be less violence. Like empaths are basically nonviolent by nature, so we all want to be more sensitive, and it's a big problem until you learn how to manage it. Fortunately, it's not that hard to manage it, and I actually have a gift on my website right now. So if you go to my website, which is lisacampion.com, I have a gift that's a, a four-hour video class on how to manage this. How do you ground? How do you clear? How do you protect? How do you get a better bubble around you? How do you manage your sensitivity so that we can be out in the world? doing you know it's a catch-22 because empaths are meant to be healers and if you're too sensitive you can't you can't be out in the world in the way you need to so this managing it the sensitivity is really really important and it's not that hard once you know how to do it so how did you how did you be, get into Ricky and did you were you always psychic I think I was always psychic yeah so I think that my um I had a twin brother that died in utero um, really like in the first or second trimester of, uh, and I think that's what made me psychic. So you know how twins are totally bonded, you know, vibed into each other. 
and then he left and I stayed and that my connection to him stayed even after he was he wasn't here so I think I was literally born psychic and I believe like I used to see things my very very first memories were of seeing spirits and of course I grew up in a haunted house it's just like you grew really up in long. a haunted house jeez absolutely yeah wow. really bad and and, really? The, and it's like Put the psychic child in the most haunted room in the haunted house. It's like that's the way. Jeez, well, what happened in the house? I don't know what happened in the house. Uh, there was just always dead people around me. It was a really old house. It was an old Victorian house right outside Boston, which is a pretty haunted city. And, you know, because it's an old city. And I think when you're a kid and you're psychic like that, you're like a ghost magnet. So every spirit within a five-mile radius came to live in my house. And it had its own spiritual past too you know um so that that was my in fact that was in the 60s and 70s there were no psychics on tv or new age bookstores or none of that and that i had to figure out so crazy it was hard i had to figure out all of it how to deal with it and sort of you know the threat was like if you talked about it too much you'd end up in the mental hospital because that's what they did with people that talked to dead people and saw angels and things you know so I, I learned how to pretend I was normal, and, and then I spent the first 20 years of my life trying to figure out how to turn it off, and it was such a big deal for me that I, I, I really was, it's what was about my whole, I mean, my whole life has always been about this, and my, I feel very dedicated to helping other people not have to learn the hard way like I did, which is why I like to teach, why I like to help people, I especially like helping young people who are overwhelmed and, and feel scared and think they're crazy and all the things that I went through. Um, you know, I like, I like to be in that, like, I want to help people not have to tough it out like I did. That's very awesome. And, you know, I'm curious. Yeah. You are somebody who's likable, engaging, friendly, personable. And I'm wondering if you were a kid, like, do you think there's some kids out there that have psychic abilities, but because they're unpopular, no one wants to hang out, hang out with them. That the spirits are probably not going to want to hang out with them either. Like, if you're an unpopular kid at school, that maybe that that's to your advantage. That maybe the spirits aren't going to want to hang out with you either. I I don't <laughs> I don't know. I was that kid that had no friends. I mean, right. seriously. Yeah, I was totally like the weird kid. Nobody would talk to me, and because I would be, say things like that, you know, like I told people I could see auras when I was in third grade and nobody wow. talked to me again until high school, you know? So what is it, when you, when you see auras, what is what are you looking for in their auras? Are you looking for colors? Are you looking for energy frequencies? Is it depending upon, is it based on emotion? Is it based on, you know, anything that has to do with their past lives or current life trajectories? Wow. Um, I would say yes, all of the above. When I, when I was little, I just would see colors around people, you know, and um, and I could tell when people were, they were feeling things, you know. I could tell when, you know, if somebody's like brown, their aura's all brown and gray, they're like really depressed, you know, and there's certain colors in the um, energy field when people are sick. You know, cancer has a color that I can almost always see when it's really got somebody, you know. Um, and you know, to sort of know things about that, like, it for me, it's a, I'm a visual psychic, so I awesome. see it, but I, I also feel it, like, in my own body, and just feel it, like, like, know it, so I kind of have the full, the full program of the psychic gifts, um, and, and it, it was just so strange to live in this reality that other people didn't seem to be able to, to see. But fortunately for me, my parents were hippies, and they took me to Transcendental Meditation when I was 10. 
because that's what you did when you were a hippie in 1974, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so I, I learned to meditate at 10, like who does that? I, you know, and then I studied martial arts and I, I really, it really helped me with the mind body connection and this whole, I studied Buddhism and like, I had a very straight, you know, unusual childhood, thank God, that helped me kind of deal with these parts of myself. So uh, it, it built you to, to do exactly what you're doing right now. I mean, look at yeah. that. I mean, most people don't have that. Is there, because of your abilities and because of what you're able to see that most people can't see, are there any activities that people do on a daily basis that put themselves in a very bad position or that are, that's very unhealthy for the energy yeah. field that they may not be aware about? Yeah, there's a lot of bad habits we have, and it's it's pretty logical. So if you think about things that you do that are good for you, like eating right, sleeping, resting, dealing with your emotions, living a good, clean, healthy lifestyle is really good for your energy. Living, you know, sort of a low life, doing a lot of drugs, drinking, um, you know, having a lot of trauma that you don't clear up is really problematic. Um, certainly a lot of spiritual things that people do, playing with a Ouija board, not a good idea doing See, you know that's awesome um, i'm so glad you said that because every single movie when they play with the ouija board stuff happens oh yeah there's it's never been a movie there. there's never been a movie you know? where they had a ouija board and it's like hey you know what there's like a friendly ghost, <laughs> yeah that's always it's never a good idea right or looking for trouble like you, if you want to run into trouble you can run into trouble so you take the ouija board into the cemetery on halloween oh, and you smoke geez. a lot of pot or you bring the ouija board to the abandoned mental hospital on Halloween and you smoke a lot of pot or you do you do like paranormal investigation when you don't really know what you're doing just just like that's like chumming the water and jumping right. in to see if sharks are real that is so awesome because when it comes to that stuff I'm curious about the metaphysics and the spirituality but I will not go near a haunted house it's like let's go ghost hunting I'm like no what no. if they like you what if they want to yeah. hang out with you that's right. What that I mean, stuff. if you know what you're, if you're going to do it, you have to be very careful. It's very high risk, very Jeez. high, very highly dangerous. You have to really, really know what you're doing. But I think a lot of people feel like it's a game. They're titillated by the idea. What if paranormal is real? Let's prove that it's real. Or it's sort of thrilling until. I mean, honestly, if you could see what I see, you would I, never. You would imagine never. I'd be freaked out. I have one of my close friends is. She's psychic and she's also a shaman and she does these experiences where she'll go and ghost hunting. I, I don't know, I understand yeah. how she tolerates it and goes for that. I guess it's something that she can handle. And then my other friend who's no longer with us, he used to go into transcendental meditation and he would go to places in hell and he would tell me how horrifying it is. I go, why would you go to hell? Why would you want to experience it? Because he was just curious. Like, I'm curious. I want to see it. I'm like, okay. All right. That's, wow. that's your cup of tea. But I mean, do you, I mean, when you, do you ever watch TV and you watch uh, leaders on TV and you ever like see entities around them saying like, well, wait a second. That's not, they're not really getting that information from themselves. They're being, they're getting some like information from the positive and the negative side. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And not, not just, you know, it's like all sort of the people that are in on media, like that are um, high profile people, you know, there's a lot of them that just don't look good to me. Like they, they, they're attractive. They're, but on a metaphysical plane, they got a lot of, pro you know, there's a lot going on that, that's not so great. So, so um, why is the darkness, um, like, why does it seem like there, there's so much negative energy right now on the planet? It, I mean, they were the right. I think we go through cycles. Yeah. 
we go through cycles of it where sort of the the light rises and the dark rises and the light rises and the dark rises and you know we're like I have a friend who studies history and he said fascism rises about every 80 years um, or every like 120 between 80 to 120 years there's a rise in fascism and you can go back all the way and then you, you we get out of that and we have something like that more happy like you know the you know, the the 60s and the civil rights and free love, and it's a cycle, right? And what, what's happening that's so interesting to me right now is that this darkness, the squeeze that we're going through, it's like a contraction. It's like a birth contraction, labor contraction. And the squeeze, when it, and there's a big one going on right now, it's killing me. What is it? Um, you you sense it like something, it's, it's happening or is it, it's about to happen? It's happening right now, like today. Yeah. Today and tomorrow, super bad squeeze. Is that is that um, regarding the world of a potential global conflict therein? Um, maybe. Or, I mean, I feel a bit more like it, my friend who's an astrologer would tell you exactly astrologically why we're, the squeeze is there. I think the it it's the real. It's, I mean, it's a cr- crazy metaphysical answer, but I think the answer is where our solar system is right now in relation to the galactic center, and when we move we move through. Our, our galaxy, you know, our solar system is moving through this part of the galaxy that's really in alignment with the galactic center. And when we get close to that alignment, we go through an, a huge up-level in the evolution on our planet. So this is an evolutionary process, like a birth process. And, and it feels very contraction, like I really feel like pressure, contraction, heaviness, density. And when the squeeze happens, whatever's like hiding in the woodwork comes out. Whatever's like rotten comes out. Whatever's hidden comes to the surface so i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing it seems scary and horrible but it is as those things get revealed we have a chance to clear them heal them for every horrible thing there's sort of a you know for every like corrupt politician that gets outed there's like something like the the me too movement you know which starts a conversation that we really need to have lisa you had mentioned at least twice on our program at least one time, and, you know, you said, "Oh, well, maybe this sounds strange, or this sounds weird." There's nothing that you said on our on our show today that I find strange in any capacity that wasn't generally authentic. So, I want to thank you, and I want to thank our amazing guest, Miss Lisa Champion. Sorry, Miss Lisa Campion for being with us. You can learn about Lisa by going to her website, Lisa Campion, C A M P I O N dot com. Lisa's book is The Art of Psychic Reiki. And when you go to Lisa's site, you'll be able to get private sessions with her long-distance Reiki attunement, which is great. You can also take some classes, develop your psychic chakras, awaken your psychic ability. She also has a section, Self-Care for Empath. There's a lot going on. Lisa, it was a great honor to have you with us. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. I so appreciate it. You have awesome questions. I love being on your show. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. Special thanks to our awesome guest, Ms. Lisa Campion, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Caza, and Ms. Constance Dellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.